All right. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Um, so as Simon mentioned, we're here for the seven steps to awakening and out of the stillness. Um, and we are beginning on quote 176. Doreen, uh, I loved your stories, your miracle stories. The story about the cake reminded me of that Garth Brooks song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, right? <laughs> and the cake didn't show up on time and then it wasn't a good cake. That was, those are good stories. Thank you for sharing them. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with 176 in the seven steps to awakening. Um, it, this is a long quote. So if you don't have the book to read along, you might have to listen carefully. Uh, so here I go. As and when the perception of an object arises within you, meet it with the understanding, I am not this. Such ignorant perception will immediately cease. In fact, there is nothing to be known in all this. There is need only to get rid of confusion or deluded understanding. If this delusion is not repeatedly re revived, it ceases to be. Whatever notion arises in you, even as movement arises in wind, realize I am not this and thus deprive it of support. It's kind of interesting because I uh, just spent 30 minutes listening to Doreen and it almost sounds like the opposite of what Doreen just taught. Uh, and I know most of y'all weren't here, but I want to talk about this anyway, because, you know, sometimes uh, you get to the same destination by taking a different path. So, uh, Sean, I don't know if you have written down what Doreen's exact words were. Do you have that written down anywhere? Or is Doreen still here listening? Could you type that in for me? The... Uh, I am all that I am. I think I is what all that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I am all that I am. Okay. I am all that I am. Okay. So what Doreen had us do in the last half hour was she, she led us in this little contemplation uh, where there was silence, but then every now and then she would step in and say, I am all that I am. Um, and uh, what this did was this broadened the sense of I so that it included everything, right? And in that broadening of the sense of I so that it includes everything, the specific limited narrow idea of me vanishes. That's what happens in that practice. Well, here, <laughs> the practice seems to point in exactly the other, other direction. It's saying whenever anything arises, say, I'm not this, right? So an emotion arises, I'm not this. A thought arises, I'm not this, right? Anything that arises, I'm not this. But what's interesting is if you practice that, the same dissolving happens, right? So it's like two different uh, directions to the same destination. And so in order to kind of understand how either one works, either the, you know, I am all that I am, or I am not this, <laughs> how two opposite things can work, 
it helps to look at how we identify with the limited person. When we identify with the limited person, we identify with specific things. So I say, uh, you know, not consciously, of course, just through my interest, I say, I am this thought, or this is my thought. I do feel this way, right? Same thing with emotions. This is, you know, I am guilty. I am angry. I am, right? And so, uh, and of course, I am this body and, you know, and that is my daughter and that is my house and that one is not my house. So it's through this partial, partial identification with some things that we create the sense of me, right? We do not identify with everything. This is my house. That house over there is not mine, right? This is my daughter. That person over there is not mine. This is my dog. That dog over there is not mine, right? We don't identify with everything. We identify with certain things. So when you're practicing the contemplation that Doreen led us through, which is I am all that I am, notice the identifying with some things disappears in that. And therefore, the I disappears in that. And then by saying, I am not this, I am not this, the same thing is actually happening. The identifying with some things disappears in that because you're not identifying with anything, right? And so the I disappears in that. So even though the practices seem to point, you know, the words seem to be like in conflict, pointing in opposite directions, the truth is both practices help to dissolve that habit of identifying with some things and not others. I was given an interesting practice in my guidance just this morning that fits with this. Um, I was reading out of the stillness up in step three, contemplating it. And uh, I came up, up, upon a, 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 not a quote, an excerpt in out of the stillness, which was about looking at your attachments. And I could see, I, I felt to stop and journal on that instead of just reading it and going on. I've told y'all I do that. I'm just read it and go on, right? <laughs> I stop and do something with it. So I felt to stop and journal. But what was really interesting was I could see immediately uh, that what was answering what my attachments are was ego. And I don't consider ego a valid source. So, uh, so I started journaling about that, you know, that this is quite interesting uh, the only thing that's answering here about my attachments is uh, ego. And I went through this journaling process with inner wisdom that got to this point, of course, uh, very much like Doreen's contemplation, I am all that I am. Uh, I'll use these words, God is all that is. Right? God is all that is. And so... Uh, I was led to go ahead and write down the things ego would have said I was attached to. So I, I wrote those things down. And then I was guided to go back and look at them and to say, for example, um, well, let me give you an example. And, and it's not true that I'm attached to this, but ego was the one saying it, right? Uh, what happened in the last couple of days is I received my bonus that you also generously donated. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll be doing a written thank you soon. But I'm not one to keep money. As soon as the money comes, I get rid of it. <laughs> it's 
So what I was doing was getting rid of the money <laughs> uh, in the last couple of days, putting money here, putting money here, giving money there. You know, some of it gets donated, some of it gets invested, but it's out of my hands very, very quickly. So in the last couple of days, I've been spending time getting rid of money, you know, moving it on. And, um, and so, and of course, I've only been doing that last couple of days because I just received the bonus. But ego, of course, said you're attached to money. Um, and so what I was guided to do with that was to write, God enjoys, I don't remember the exact words, it wasn't playing with money. Maybe it was God enjoys moving money but God is not attached, right? God enjoys moving money, but God is not attached. And I was guided to go through every single thing in my list. Like another thing I do, anybody who knows me well knows this, is I watch my weight. You know, I, 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 there's a range that I consider acceptable, whether it's in the low end of that range or the high end of that range, but there becomes a point where, you know, I just don't want to go above that. And so when I start pushing the top of that range, I start dieting to move it back down a little lower again. And so ego said that I was attached to weight. And I was guided to write, um, God enjoys watching weight, but God is not attached. Um, and I was guided to go through every one of the attachments that ego listed with that. God enjoys this. You know, God likes to do this, but but God is not attached. And then after that, I was guided to look up the word attached. Um, and um, let me go ahead and just do that again. So the definition of attached is connected or joined to something. Um, so if God was attached to moving money, God would never stop moving money. That two days of moving money because a bonus came in would never end, right? Uh, if God was attached to watching the weight, that would be an obsession, which is not an obsession. It's very casual. That would be an obsession. There would be an obsession with watching weight. Um, if God was attached to cleaning house, uh, there wouldn't be those four or five dirty dishes over there right? So the word attached implies, you know, like this clinging. And God doesn't cling to anything. But things do come and go through experience. And so after going through this, it was very clear to me that there are no attachments at all. And listen to this. Are you ready? <laughs> None of us have any attachments. Is there anything that you do all the time and you never stop? No. So all of us have no attachments. Things come and go, come and go, come and go. And we deal with them when they're in front of us, right? <clears throat> but by believing we have attachments, we become attached to the I that is guiltily attached. Does that make sense? By believing we have attachments. Think about it. When your ego tells you you're attached, isn't there a guilt in there, a judgment in there? Shame on you for being attached to da 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 whatever it is, right? Shame on you for watching your weight. Shame on you for moving your money. Shame on you for cleaning your house, right? Whatever it is. 
So when we believe that we have these attachments, which we don't actually have, we also believe that we're the I. So notice this is the exact same type of exercise. So my guidance was, as I do anything, just to say, and I don't know if it will go beyond today, just today, but to say, God wants to meditate now. God wants to work out now. God wants to take a shower now, right? God's going to go teach now. Take the eye out of it. And you would be amazed, amazed at how quickly that exercise made any sense of I disappear. There was no I wanting anything. There was no I making decisions. It was just a movement, just the flow, you know, just like the moving with money happened because the bonus came in. Now this is happening. Now this is happening. Now this is happening. So all three of these exercises, and I'm sure there are others that could come through your guidance, have the same effect. Right. Because when we say I'm attached, like I'm attached to eating chocolate, I'm attached to my children, I'm attached to my husband. Notice we're doing that same thing of selecting certain things to identify with. And that's what gives us the sense of I. So if we just say I have no attachments, boom, God is just doing this now. God is just doing this now. God is just doing this now the sense of I disappears. So there are a lot of exercises that could come up through individual guidance that really appear different, but they have the same effect. So let me go ahead and uh, read this quote again, and then we'll look and see what I came up with when I contemplated this, you know, years and years and years ago. By the way, God didn't have time to eat or take five before Doreen was done teaching. So God may do that later. We'll see. <laughs> it's still sitting there and may not. It may just get put away. You know, who knows what will happen with the take five, but it's sitting there. All right, here we go. <clears throat> 176. As and when the perception of an object arises within you, meet it with the understanding, I am not this. By the way, I wanna point that out. It's not just a mantra. I'm not this, I'm not this. You know, when Doreen led us through the I am all that I am exercise, she had us contemplating that for, I didn't time it. I don't know what it was, five, 10 minutes. I, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention, but she had us just be with it is what contemplate means, I think. Not think about it, not try and figure it out, just kind of be with it. And, and she asks us to see what kind of arises, you know, what insights kind of arise as we be with, I am all that I am. This says, meet, as and when the perception of an object arises within you, meet it with the understanding, I am not this. So what does that mean? The understanding, I am not this. That means taking the time to notice that I am not this, you know? So let's say an annoyance arises, you know, because I didn't get to eat my, my take five, right? Doreen quit two minutes early and I didn't get to stuff it down my mouth. <laughs> I wouldn't have had time in two minutes anyway. I eat it much slower than that, but uh, let's pretend that, you know, uh, you know, I'm annoyed because I didn't get to eat my take five. Well, what this is saying is pause. 
Look at that annoyance. Look at the feeling of it. You know, you might, you might do like Ann kind of does. Where is it in the body? You know, maybe there's annoyance like right here. Um, what I one thing I like to do sometimes is people know is I like to notice that whatever that feeling is, like even annoyance, it actually has edges. You know, I can whether I feel it in my chest or my belly or my head or wherever I feel it, it's not everywhere. You know, it's never everywhere. You can always find the edges. I did that with somebody here one day. They were feeling very unworthy. Now, it was many months ago, but I had them look at their unworthiness and they could actually trace the unworthiness. It was in the head and the heart, but they could feel it. It wasn't in their leg, you know? <laughs> so, so you look at these things in the body and you notice it has edges. You know, the annoyance is right here, right? It has these edges. And then you notice it as an object. Look, it's an object. It's limited. Am I that object? And you start to see, no, I'm not. I'm looking at the object, right? And by the time you've done this, you can say with understanding, I'm not this, but I'm not this annoyance. This annoyance is just arising in me. So it's not just this quick mantra that you just throw out at stuff, right? If you practice this, it's a, it's a, it's a contemplation. It's a looking a noticing, an understanding, right? So as and when the perception of an object arises within you, meet it with the understanding, I am not this. Such ignorant perception will immediately cease, which means you the, the identification, you know, the I am annoyed, I am, notice the identification of that sentence, I am annoyed, that'll dissolve. If you pause and look at it, notice you're not it, right? You're this peace, you're this peaceful spaciousness. You're not this annoyance. It's arising within you. So such ignorant perception will immediately cease. In fact, there is nothing to be known in all this. There is need only to get rid of the confusion or diluted understanding. So what this is saying is that, you know, we identify with things all the time. And that's the only problem. That's the ignorance. That's the deluded understanding. So we just need to pause and notice, I am not this. I am not this, right? But you're, you're looking at it and seeing over and over again that you are not this. In fact, there is no form that you can see that you are. If this delusion is not repeatedly revived, it ceases to be. That means if you do this once and then you go right back to, okay, now I'm pissed off. Okay, now I'm really angry. You know, you're going to keep identifying with the person. But if every time something arises in you, you pause, you look at it, you locate it, you notice its edges, you notice you see it, you realize I am not this, then the I that was identified with all this is going to have to eventually fade, disappear because the I required those partial identifications to appear to exist. And you're not permitting it to have those identifications, right? You're not permitting it through this practice. Whatever notion arises in you, even as movement arises in wind, realize I am not this and thus deprive it of support. Right, deprive it of support. So let's go see what I came up with in the journal. Uh, so I'm going to 176 and out of the stillness. 176 says, 
When attention strays to thinking, point out to yourself, this thinking is illusion making. Or point out to yourself, this idea is not real. Or point out to yourself, I am not this character. And then with love and present understanding desire, return attention to the present still heart. Through this practice of remembering and returning, the ego delusion ends. So this is what the fourth practice we've now seen, right? We had the practice, Doreen's practice, uh, I am all that I am, which does not allow identifying with partial things, some things. Uh, we saw I am not this, which does not allow identifying with some things. We saw, uh, you know, God is doing this. <laughs> God is doing this, not I, right? God is doing this, uh, which does not allow the identification. And now we're saying, just say this thinking is illusion making. Or say this idea is not real. Or say, I am not this character. And what this is really doing is it's, it's giving the opportunity to meet uh, the potential identification with any thought that is helpful in the moment to not complete the identification. So for example, uh, let's imagine that uh, one of you all right now uh, looks like you're not interested in what I'm saying. All right, let's just pretend that. And let's imagine the thought shows up in my mind. Oh, you know, so-and-so is not at all interested. She's totally judging me. I'm, you know, I'm just blabbering here. Well, I don't actually know that, do I? So if I pause and I look at that thought and I say, this thought is just illusion-making, that's a very genuine thought because I can see that. I can see that I'm making up a story about what somebody out there is thinking. I have no idea. Maybe their eyes are closed because they're listening so deeply, right? So I can literally uh, get myself to not identify with the thought by noticing that it's illusion-making, that that's a true, true statement about what I was about to do. I was about to make stuff up. Uh, it says you could also say this idea is not real. Uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe there's this idea, you know, about something in the world. Maybe there's this idea that the politicians should do this or this or this or this. But when I feel myself getting frustrated, and I start looking at this idea about what I think is so right. I can remind myself that, you know, there are now 8 billion people in the world. And every one of those 8 billion people think differently. Why do I give so much value to my thought, right? Why do I give so much value to what shows up in this mind? And then I can just remember this isn't real or this has no value. You know, this is just a thought that showed up that I'm attaching to. And I can choose to not identify with it, right? So uh, again, what this is doing is this is giving me ways that were helpful to me, obviously, at that time, at the time that I wrote this to choose not to identify. And again, when you're doing your own journaling, you may come up with your own guidance. 
because there's more than one way to not identify. But if we understand that it's through identification that we maintain the I or the idea of a separate self, then we also understand that any practice that we are given that help us, helps us to not identify with a limited set of ideas, emotions, objects, is also helping to undo the ego. And then you follow through with that guidance. You know, uh, many times people have told me that um, they'll receive some kind of wonderful guidance in the morning while they're journaling, but then they never go back and look at it. They forget what it was and they never practice it. You know, the only way that the guidance has the effect the guidance is intended to have is if you follow through, right? Follow through with that guidance. Uh, and I think you guys know one of the things that I enjoy doing is reading. I mean, my God, how egotistical would the sound if you didn't understand? I read everything I've written multiple times. You know, I'm going through NTI for the who knows how many times right now because I'm doing the 500 days. I'm uh, spending time with um, Out of the Stillness. This is probably about my fourth or fifth time through this book. I um, am also the journal that I'm writing now as I contemplate uh, during times of the day when I notice, hey, there's nothing that I need to do right now. I sit down and I read from my journal. I read it. The reason for reading, you know, what I have written, see how egotistical that sounds? <laughs> but the reason for reading what I have written over and over and over again is because it was my guidance. I don't want to forget my guidance. Uh, I want to remember my guidance. I want to practice my guidance. I want to con continue to bring all of that guidance into my everyday living. And, you know, NTI. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to guesstimate 30 times. I don't know how many times I've been through it, but I'll, I remember the last time I was counting, I was somewhere in the 20s and then I quit counting. So I'm going to guess 30. Um, I'm doing 500 days, which you guys know I wrote. <laughs> uh, and every single one of those lessons is being interpreted in a slightly different way to meet me right where I'm at right now and is fully supportive of my current place on the journey, fully supportive. In fact, I am so grateful that I'm doing the 500 days. You know, so grateful that I'm doing it, even though I'm doing things that seem much deeper, you know, during my eight hours of private time. Uh, I focus on the 500 days during my eight hours of, you know, out time, right? That's when I'm really focused on it. It's like this little touchstone during the more in the world part of the day. But I'm so grateful I have that 500 days for that part of the day. And the way that it's supporting and bringing back to mind this morning's contemplation and what I noticed in meditation. And, you know, it's just all working together. So I think I've talked all I need to say about that particular one. Uh, so I am going to move on to the next one, which is 179. It's funny because uh, a little a little memo just came up on my 
computer reminding me of what I am going to do when this teaching ends in half an hour. I'm going to move some money. <laughs> but this isn't my money. The money I'm moving uh, in half an hour, it's HOA money. I have to move money quarterly out of one account into another account so that we continue to earn interest. If there's not some kind of account activity, you know, all the time, you don't earn interest. And so I have to go move money. Uh, so see, God likes to move money. It happens. I mean, how many of y'all have lived an entire life without moving any money? By the way, I want to point out every time you buy something, you're moving money. Doesn't moving money happen constantly? God must love to move money because it's always moving around, isn't it? Yeah, always moving around. All right, so I said I was going to go to 179. All right, 179 says in the seven steps to awakening, I was not silent because I could not answer, but because silence is the only answer to your question, right? That's I, 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 kind of funny. I was not silent because I could not answer, but silence is the only answer to your question. Uh, so let's have a peek at my journal and see what that meant to me. What is the purpose of inquiry and investigation? Is its purpose to lead to answers that satisfy the intellect? Or is its purpose to lead directly into silent, unknowing openness? Uh, one mistake that I have seen people make with uh, self-inquiry, you know, who am I or what am I, that type of self-inquiry, uh, I've watched them answer. That's the mistake. Did you know that was a mistake to answer the question? That's a mistake. You know, and sometimes and it's, and sometimes it's very clear that they're answering from uh, prior spiritual education. You know, like I've, I've seen people say things like, who am I? I am the Christ. I am love. I am. It's all it's all stuff that's been learned. It's all concepts, nice concepts, sweet concepts. The concepts. The purpose of self-inquiry isn't to get an answer. The purpose of self-inquiry is to bring us to that open, unknowing looking. And then just linger there. Just linger there. You know, chapter one of the Tao Te Ching is, is one of my favorite chapters of the Tao. I think I have the Tao here. Let's see. Yep, here's the Tao. This is the Stephen Mitchell version of the Tao. Let me get to chapter one. Okay, listen to chapter one. Chapter one says, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. So that means that if I tell you, you are love, you are awareness, you are consciousness, you are the absolute, you are God, none of those could be correct. 
They're all partial concepts. And in fact, one thing that I heard Sina mention once, uh, and I was really happy to hear her say this, she picked up on the fact that in gentle healing, I, I, I say life awareness, life hyphenated awareness, because that's a little more complete than just awareness. Um, you know, if you look at uh, uh, Michael Langford, I forget he has five hyphenated words together, <laughs> you know, um, but nothing that is said about it is it. Nothing that is said about it is it. And in fact, there's a wonderful quote by Nizargadana Maharaj that says something like, the only way to know anything is to be it. The only way to know anything is to be it. So the purpose of self-inquiry is not to bring us to get an answer so that we can then say, oh, I'm awareness or, oh, I'm love or, oh, I'm, you know, whatever. It's to bring our looking attention there so that it lingers there and gets the perfume of the truth of what I am digested enough and brings that forward so that I can be it, not only in meditation, but in my everyday life. So the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The unnameable is eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things, right? That's the intellect. I love this next sentence. Free from desire, you realize the mystery. And the first half of this sentence, free from desire. Um, there came a time when I realized a, a deeper depth to that portion of the sentence. Uh, before I used to think like free from desire meant, you know, not wanting my take five, right? <laughs> not wanting a romantic partner or not wanting, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Outward attention itself is desire. Just that by itself. It's the desire. We could call it the desire for experience. We could call it the desire for identification, the desire to believe we're separate. But this outward focused attention is desire. So free from desire, which means free from outward focused attention, which means the attention is lingering with what I am. I realize the mystery. Notice that word, the mystery. There's not this definite final answer. It's an ongoing, very deep mystery that never gets figured out. That's self-realization. So free from desire, free from outward focused attention. So the attention is here. I realize what can never be named, what can never be figured out. And I am that, you see. 
So it's not about getting an answer. It's about knowing myself. Isn't that funny that they're different? <laughs> they are different. Knowing myself is knowing myself. Remember, Nizargadatta said that in order to know something, you had to be it. Knowing myself is being myself, but it's an eternal unfolding mystery. It's a, and some of you guys may remember, I, I said in some teaching, it might've been this one, that Bernadette Roberts, when she awoke to what I call the first principle of God, she said, it's an entirely different dimension. And she said, the closest thing you have, in other words, the closest thing you know, the closest thing you have to God is I don't know. What do you think of that? Doesn't the word mystery fit with that very well? The closest thing that you have in your dimension to God is I don't know. So you see, self-inquiry isn't about getting an answer. It's about going deeper and deeper into that mystery and realizing that's what I am. I am that. Free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Do you see how the desire is just the outward attention? Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Caught in outward attention, that's all that you see, right? Free from desire, free from outward attention, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Yet, mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. And there we have more mystery. <laughs> Right? And there's more mystery right there. Let me go back to out of the stillness. Oops, that's the Tao Te Ching again. So number 179 and out of the stillness, what is the purpose of inquiry and investigation? Is its purpose to lead to answers that satisfy the intellect so I can finally tell everybody I am awareness? Or is its purpose to lead directly into silent, unknowing openness? And again, the quote that led me to contemplate that from uh, Seven Steps to Awakening said, I was not silent because I could not answer, but because silence is the only answer to your question. So let's move on to 180. 180 says, all verbal statements whether they are verbose or brief, whether their purport is subtle or transcendental, are limited by logic, by duality and division. Sounds a lot like what we just heard in the Tao, right? Sounds like Tao chapter one. Again, all verbal statements, whether they are verbose or brief, 
whether their purport is subtle or transcendental, are limited by logic, by duality, and division. Uh, well, this sounds like something that would come from me in number 180 and out of the stillness. One cannot use words to teach another what the other cannot see for himself. All true teaching comes from within. And uh, you guys know that I feel that very deeply. Um, the reason when I retired, the reason that I didn't give up this teaching right here is not because I wanted to teach anybody. <laughs> it was because a part of what I am doing is going through my own journals again. I have already stated that. And this is just another way of doing that. It felt like a useful hour for me to come here once a week and contemplate out loud through what appears to be teaching my own journal. Because my experience has been from the very beginning that as I teach, my own clarity deepens. And so it just felt in the heart that continuing to teach out of the stillness fit very much with my new role as not teacher. Isn't that funny? So I'm here to feel and hear within. Because the teaching is still deepening for me. And I want it to continue to deepen for me. And this is one of the ways I'm doing that. So one cannot use words to teach another what the other cannot see for himself. Now, of course, if, if you are spending time in contemplation, meditation, the words that come through me might just add to what's going on for you, right? That, that happens. But if someone was to show up here, you know, let's, uh, let's just say, you know, like my partner, you know, the, the man that I live with, you know, he, he doesn't pay any attention to any of this spiritual stuff. And if he was to say, hey, you know, I want to learn a, a little bit about, you know, what you're so caught up in, what you spend hours and hours every day doing. So I'm going to come and I'm going to listen. He probably wouldn't understand a thing I said. Because I'm not actually teaching with words. If I'm connecting to you, it's because you are also taking this journey for yourself and you're already making progress in this same direction. And so the connections between my inner self on this journey and your inner self on this journey, you know, there's some synergy there and there's a connection happening. But there's no friggin' way I could teach you this stuff if you didn't have your own inner connection already going. You just wouldn't understand a word I say. I remember when NTI was published, 
uh, just because I was the one that wrote it down. Both my brother and my father thought that they would read it. I don't know. My my dad said something like he got as far as page 17 and he couldn't read any further. <laughs> and all that my brother said was it was as boring as the Bible. <laughs> you see, they're still they're still very outward focused. That's just where they're at. That's OK. Right. They're still full of outward focus. They don't have this inner connection yet. And there's nothing I could say that would teach them anything or make this meaningful to them at all. Because that's not what's going on here. Whether I'm the one speaking or not, what's happening when you're listening is you're listening with your own inner connection. You're listening with your feet already on the journey. And the insights that you might get while I appear to be speaking are coming from within you. And in fact, believe it or not, frequently they have nothing to do with what I said. I've had this experience over and over and over again where people will come up to me after a retreat or something and say, you know, Regina, when you said blah, 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 blah. But I didn't say <laughs> I didn't say that. They heard it. They felt it. It's what jived within, within them. And something that I said may have been the catalyst for that. But they were listening to their own inner teacher thinking they were listening to me. So we literally cannot teach each other. Literally. I can come here with the intention that I have, which is to continue to deepen within my own path. And I can talk and look like I'm talking to you. And you can listen and look like you're listening to me. But I'm really talking to myself. And you're really listening to yourself. And that's not figurative at all. So one cannot use words to teach another what the other cannot see for himself. All true teaching comes from within. And that's what's going on here. It's exactly what's going on here. And it's fun to do it together. I enjoyed this mode, this way of us listening to our own inner teachers, but we're listening to our own inner teachers. So that takes us to number 182, which again is a little bit longer. Do not fall into the net. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's the right one. Do not fall into the net of duality and non-duality, etc. All such controversy and polemics only lead to sorrow and despair. When one pursues the unreal or impermanent, there is sorrow. When the conditioning of consciousness drops away, there is no sorrow, even as in sleep, there is no sorrow. The consciousness that abandons conditioning realizes its unconditioned nature, and that is liberation. 
Now, one thing that we have all done um, is like something or someone because they are like-minded. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, maybe we watch this movie and as we're watching this movie, we, we, we notice, you know, these statements in the movie that are just like our spiritual path. And so we like the movie because it's like me. In the beginning, that's a lot of fun. And we do get a, a lot of clarity that way. I, I did that too. But at some point, you know, everything has its usefulness. And then at some point, its usefulness ends. At some point, we start to look at that differently. And we start to see, wait a minute, I am enjoying this because it thinks like me. Right? And we start to realize the limiting nature of that and all of the things that are being excluded. And we realize that that's just another identification. And so at some point, we begin to let go of being attracted to like-minded and return to beyond the mind as what we see in everything, which I often call life awareness. So even in our love of the like-minded, we're separating. And again, for a while, it's helpful. You know, we're getting useful messages and all that. But at some point, it becomes apparent that I have, I have segmented off these books, these people, this music, and these movies that are like me. And that needs to stop. Uh, have you guys seen the movie The Shack? Which is a great like-minded movie, by the way. <laughs> but one of the things that's in The Shack that makes this point, at least it did for me. I don't know if it makes the point for everybody. It may have been completely unintentional. But um, God, who, if you haven't seen the movie, who happens to be a Black woman who loves to bake which is probably not what most people think of when they think of God. <laughs> so God, who happens to be a black woman who loves to bake, uh, listens to rap music. And in the book, uh, somebody asks her about that, about, about the rap music. Uh, and she says something like, I love all of my children. And when I read that, I realized I didn't. I was separating into like-minded and not like-minded. Good music that had good messages and bad music that had bad messages. Like some rap music does. And there's some good rap too. I've got some good rap in my playlist. But there's definitely some bad rap that I wouldn't listen to. And yet there was God listening to it while she was baking. I love all my children, she says. So what I, if anybody who knows me well, you know, such as George and Shauna, you know, they live around me, they know me. I think they would probably tell you I'm a pretty normal person. I'm not spiritual 
in the way that I live. Like I don't hang out with spiritual people. I don't talk spiritual language. I don't watch spiritual movies. You know, right now the TV shows I'm watching are Longmire with Ron and The Crown with Mom. Now I did hear Shauna talk about The Chosen this week. So I might start watching it by myself because I don't have a watching project when I'm alone. You know, so I got to wait to be with Mom to watch The Crown. I got to wait to be with Ron to watch Longmire. So maybe I'll do Chosen by myself. But um, loving everything and trusting everything that comes to me, whether it has a spiritual appearance or not, is very important. And not dividing into like-minded or not like-minded. You would be amazed at how many people have asked me, how could I be with Ron when he's not on this spiritual path? People can't even understand that. Do you see how, how we, you know, if he's not like-minded, how can you be with him? I mean, do you hear the separation in that? Right? So do not fall into the net of duality and non-duality. And also do not fall into the net of spiritual and not spiritual. Right? Do not fall into the net of duality and non-duality, etc. All such controversy and polemics only lead to sorrow and despair. When one pursues the unreal or impermanent, there is sorrow. And guess what? Like-minded is unreal or impermanent because truth is beyond mind entirely. When one pursues the unreal or impermanent, there is sorrow. When the conditioning of consciousness drops away, even your, your conditioning as a spiritual person, right? When the conditioning of consciousness drops away, there is no sorrow, even as in sleep, there is no sorrow. Is there any like-minded or not like-minded in deep sleep? <laughs> spiritual or not spiritual in deep sleep? Good music or bad music in deep sleep? No, so all these things are made up. The consciousness that abandons conditioning realizes its unconditioned nature. That is liberation. Now, uh, let's see what I wrote in my journal all this time, uh, all this time ago. Again, this was years ago when I was writing this. 182. The desire to be right runs deep. So this must have been really big for me at that time, wanting to be right. And in fact, I would have written this in 2000. No, I wasn't starting Awakening Together yet. We didn't start Awakening Together till 2013. So this was 2012. I don't know who I wanted to be right with. <laughs> it was actually a, a, a year with very little interaction with people. Um, that's when I took that. That was the last time I did what I'm doing now, where I had like eight hours of meditation, contemplation, you know, I think then it was actually seven hours. Now it's eight. Uh, but it was a year like this where there was very lim limited interaction with people. But apparently I was noticing I wanted to be right. The desire to be right runs deep. Even as teachings about dropping I know are read and reread day after day, the desire to be right will rise unnoticed, snatch attention, and reign victorious again. This is what is meant by conditioning. Conditioning is not overcome without attention and effort. The desire to be free of long held and highly valued habits must be present. With attentive effort, 
and heart desire, conditioning can be undone. It is worth the effort you are asked to put forth. So uh, although I can't remember specifically who would have been around that I wanted to be right with in 2012, uh, I can tell you I remember that feeling arising very strong in like 2013, 2014, maybe even into 2015, uh, as we were building Awakening Together. Um, I remember uh, setting in trustee meetings and wanting them to listen to me because I was right. Um, I remember that energy in the chest. That's where I felt it, in the chest. It was a strong, almost feels almost like a rock. This wanting to be right, this so certain that I'm right. And sometimes the blood would even rise up into my face. Is this sounding familiar to anyone? <laughs> and I remember over and over and over again, surrendering to the vote of the trustees when they disagreed with me, which happened a lot. And I perceive that as very important for me to just surrender to the vote, surrender to the vote. The trustees were my boss, even though I was the leader of the trustees. When they would vote for something and my little I'm right mind thought this is a huge mistake, it shouldn't happen that way. I surrendered to the vote and I did it that way over and over and over and over again. And that's what this is about. That's the only way I could transcend that conditioning of I'm right, was to surrender over and over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, Rhoda and I talk every now and then, and Rhoda has, she has great questions, you know, about, about leading AT, about leading Awakening Together. And, and this is what I've told her. I've told her that Every time there was a vote that did not go in the direction that I thought it should, I saw it as an opportunity to surrender. It's an opportunity to let go of my conditioning. It's an opportunity to let go of me thinking I'm right, me thinking I know how things should go. And, and so I will. Uh, you guys get the point. And uh, I'll see you next week. All right. Take care. Bye.